Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the Stringer Podcast number 51. Thanks for sticking around. I'm continuing to use this time in isolation to edit and upload older interviews we have in the can. Or, more accurately, Dylan is editing old interviews we have in the can. It should never be forgotten that he's the one that does most of the work around here. This week, we've got a conversation with the talented creator out of Edmonton, Alberta, the gateway to the north, the festival city, home to North America's largest mall, and of course, that NHL team with the world's best player as their captain. He's the host of Avery Sports Show, co-host of the Brad Navery Hour, web host for the Edmonton Singers, correspondent for Inside Super League, and most recently he interviewed one of my favorite Detroit Pistons players to ever wear the jersey, John Sally. You know him on Twitter as at Avery. You know him on Instagram as at Avery Sports. He's a small town, big city, huge hearted, self-starting digital sports journalist who has never chosen to limit himself by the leagues he covers, the people he talks to, or the hats he'll wear. I've got Avery Lewis McDougal and he's coming up right after I tell you about t-shirts. Stringer Labs is teaming up with local and national charities to help connect all of our listeners directly to causes that we have a personal connection to and are in need of additional support through COVID-19. 100% of the proceeds from these limited edition shirts goes directly to those who are helping Canada get through this. Shirts are only $25 and you can find more on the designs and the charity partners by heading to thestringer.ca. Also, if you work with a charity or are close to a cause and want to team up on the project, you can hit me up on Twitter at Chancellor so we can figure something out. In light of our big weekends continuing to be spent at home, self-isolating, taking care of ourselves and our community by doing our part, I want to continue to highlight some of the cool stuff we've seen people creating during this social downtime turned creative boom. A while back, we recorded a pod with Jerome Chang, where we went through all of our favorite Marvel movies, pitting them up against each other in a bracket-style challenge and determining a winner, which is definitely Civil War. If you listened all the way through... No, don't listen to me. If you listen all the way through that one, then Jerome's Marvel Cinematic University pod is likely for you. Jerome, along with Jake Christie and Anthony Canton III, break down everything in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and they're currently doing character retrospectives. The Iron Man episode is great. Check out Marvel Cinematic University on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to my voice right now. If you're creating something and you want to share it with the world, hit us up on Twitter at Stringer Podcast or by email podcast at thestringer.ca and we'll check it out and give it a pump on an upcoming episode. Did you know that every single minute this totally sounds like a read, but it's not. Every single minute, 500 hours of content is uploaded to YouTube. 
That means if you wanted to watch all the content that has been uploaded since the moment you press play on today's podcast and you're willing to not take bathroom breaks, not stop for something to eat and just sit there and watch every clip back to back to back, it'd take you 62 and a half days. And by the time you finished, there would be another 5,137 years of content waiting there for you to watch uninterrupted. It's astonishing. For me, YouTube has always been synonymous with music videos. Having received my start in music and then moving on to film and television, music videos are the ultimate combination of my two favorite art forms. And when it comes to watching these mini movies set to a strong backing track with some sort of story that unfolds generally starring some of your favorite artists, there's not a band I associate more with YouTube music video binging than Pete, Patrick, Andy, and Joe, who came together to form Chicago's Fall Out Boy. Now, I always took my association between Fall Out Boy and YouTube as being purely a generational thing. I was at the right age, in the right time of my life, experiencing the right things when this band hit. But the more you dig into it, you realize that I'm not the only one who thinks this. And in fact, there's compelling evidence as to why. Back in the mid-2000s, Fall Out Boy was tagged as the most popular band on a little social networking site known as MySpace. Remember it? Millions and millions and millions of people became fans, met fans, listened to MP3s, and, following YouTube's launch in February 2005, were able to watch embedded videos. Two months after YouTube went live, on April 12th, Fall Out Boy drops the music video for the first single of their upcoming major label debut from Under the Cork Tree. The video was directed by Matt Lenski and follows the persecution and then eventual redemption of a boy with antlers. Since the band yielded the largest fanbase on MySpace, and that fanbase had just discovered that YouTube allowed them to upload and embed their favorite music videos, Sugar were going down hit and hit hard as people all over the world began discovering YouTube and by association Follow Boy for the first time, forever linking the band to online music video binging for people like myself and millions of others like me. Here's Sugar We're Going Down, then the sax, then Avery. Oh, because the mics run through the box. Yeah. Oh shit! I didn't know that. <laughs> we uh, we upgraded the studio, um, and I'm still trying to figure it all out yeah. and and trying to like understand. <laughs> well, see, as you could tell, I didn't even know the boxes had to be on, but that makes no, complete there sense. Because all the microphones pass through the boxes. How are we looking, D? Well, oh, thumbs up from D- Wilson Avery on the podcast. Hey, buddy. How you doing? This is like I feel like this is. 
<laughs> months in the working I think of so. us trying to to find a time, trying to find a time when you're in Toronto. Yes. Bouncing around three different cities. That is and then it just you're like, yo, I know I'm gonna be in the city on <laughs> today, which is October twenty fifth when yes. we're recording this. Uh, do you have time? And I'm like, let me check with Dylan. Because <laughs> Dylan's actually the big boss with everything. Thumbs up from Dylan. He gets more love these last couple months with Sportsfeld than he ever has <laughs> in like years and years of working with me. So I'm it. Yeah, he's finally getting <laughs> he's finally getting the recognition he's always deserved. Yet outside of the intro, the guy doesn't get on the microphone. He refuses to. He's too shy. We're trying to work it out of him. We're trying to encourage it. What's going on with you? What brings you to the city? I am well, seeing with you, Clayton, doing the podcast, but also my uncle's getting married tomorrow. Your uncle's getting married. Yes, first well, marriage. Congratulations to him. Yes, it'll be interesting. We shout out, by the time this comes out, he will already be married, yes. maybe on a honeymoon. <laughs> he will have taken lots of notes that he can pass on to you and me on how to be a successful husband in life. Exactly. And the funny thing is that now with my uncle getting married, yes. the families come over from, from the States, from Jamaica, from England. All the families come over on my dad's side for as wedding tomorrow afternoon in mississauga is that how diverse your background is oh my background is nuts my background do you want do you want the breakdown i would love the, want the breakdown. i would love the breakdown <laughs> because then afterwards i might ask you yes. what national teams you cheer for in soccer but let's first start with your family's breakdown okay here's the breakdown my mom is trinidadian okay dad's jamaican grandparents are trinidad and jamaica right. and my great-grandparents are english and scottish oh my goodness so you got Yes. Everything mixed out. So how did your English and Scottish grandparents, I'm guessing one moved to Trinidad and the other one moved to Jamaica. Actually, at first, one moved to Barbados and then to Trinidad. So the nations are even more. And also, too, I also have an East Indian great-grandmother as well, too. Holy So smokes. that's about seven different nations going on there in my background. <laughs> it's the United Nations <laughs> just when we come to one of Avery's family events. Uh, was Is there a large population that moved uh, from England or from uh, Scotland, you said, right? Yeah. England or Scotland into the islands? Or did they just, like, wise up long before anyone else and was like, yo, we can get out of the rain and live in the sun? <laughs> oh, they came to islands a long time ago, back in the 1800s. A lot of people immigrated from the UK to Trinidad, Jamaica, Barbados, because my last name is Lewis McDougall, mm -hmm. a very English-Scottish last name. Very much so. <laughs> So yeah, they, a lot of them came to Trinidad. So and you, you'll see in the West Indies, you'll see a lot of people in Trinidad are avid tea drinkers, like yeah. the British people. They drive on the right side of the road, like in England. There's a lot of influences in the West Indies from UK. Interesting. And when you visit family, do you go down? Do you ever travel to Western Europe or is that too far removed that more you, you go down into some of the warmer climates, whether Trinidad or Jamaica. I want to go to Scotland one day and see my roots because yeah. my, it's funny because my my last name, Lewis, yeah. is actually no to rely claim. It's a fake last name technically. Lewis is. My great-grandfather, the original family name was Hope, and he changed Hope. it to Lewis, and no one and knows why. And is that why. on the English side? It is, yes. And McDougal is from the Scottish yeah, and side. and no one knows why. Interesting. <laughs> and was it, did, did, did they figure out when it happened? In history, like at what point they went down and, and it got changed? Not exactly, no, because record keeping from back then in Scotland and England and Trinidad are it's very shoddy. It's all handwritten notes. Yeah. And handwritten notes from 75, 80 years ago are probably destroyed. Yeah, they're dust. <laughs> there's there's not much there. Oh my goodness. So we were first linked. Yes. Because of well you before we got on Mike, you you said that you've known Jeff 
Vayat for going on a decade long since 2012, very and he's time. a longtime friend of mine. But we we were first introduced through basically I'm going to call it the what's re- the remnants of the blogosphere mm-hmm. uh, in the hockey world. It's more like the Twitter sphere, I guess. Now yeah, is I, what we'd call it. But you've been you know actively writing and conducting your show for I'm thinking 2010. 2008, 2008. Yeah, I I'm start- not. I'm doing you a disservice. <laughs> I got started back when, if you had a podcast in 2008, there was no Twitter. Facebook was no. still pretty small. I had to physically email people my link to my show. People but listen. but it was web hosted. You it were, was. Yes. You, you you weren't emailing them the the, the audio file. No, it was, it was still a link on Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Yes. Interesting story. So we mm. are hosted, and we work with Spreaker. Okay, that's right. Spreaker, their founder, was the founder of Blog Talk Radio. Spreaker is actually the descendant, <laughs> the great-great-grandchild of what was Blog Talk, uh, Blog Talk Radio. When we moved to them uh, in the summer, uh, we had a long discussion with them. They kind of, mm. they explained, you know, our rep and, and, and they explained their roots and they explained how they came to where they were. Yes. And I remember the Blog Talk Radio days because it was uh, what we thought was going to be the new wave of how we took in radio, exactly. let's say, but it just took, I think, a little bit longer than any of us thought. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. And back then, I had a lot, I had a lot of guests back on that. I had I had on um, uh, Gene Prince Pay for Sportsnet Radio mm-hmm. or Sports TV. I had on Kevin Weeks. He was on my show many times. I had a guy do do name Gabe Morenci. Gabe Morenci. He was a host from the Score in the mid two thousands. This is when the Score was very much going to radio and mm-hmm. uncensored content. I had him on a few times, and when I realized my show was taking off, Avery Sports Show, was when I looked in the numbers, and I saw for one episode I had 4,000 listens. Wow. I was 15 And this is old. like in 2008, Eight. 2009. I was like, holy crap. And from that, I went down. I used to go down every year to Canton for the NFL Hall of Fame inductions with my dad. And I think what was interesting is that being a Canadian kid at 16 years old, you truly see how big the NFL is. NFL juggernaut was going from covering the CFL to the NFL. I was, I think my my biggest moment of being in awe was standing at a urinal, taking a pee, <laughs> and who walks up beside me? Who walks up beside me, Clean? But Kurt Warner. Wow. Kurt Warner. I'm standing there like, holy crap, I I'm frozen. Yeah. Like, what do I do? Do I say hello? Do you, I? You zip it up first, <laughs> probably. You put like, it away. Maybe wash your hands first. Like it blew me away. Yeah. And you know, covering the Hall of Fame inductions for the NFL was great. I interviewed Rich Eisen, I interviewed Shannon Sharp, interviewed Marshall Falk, interviewed um Deion Sanders, who was okay guy, but yeah. eh, but you know what? Yeah. Some guys aren't great, some guys are great, but it was still very cool just seeing how that was like how just NFL works as a media enterprise back right. then. Interesting. So NFL yeah. inductions were the first thing you did. Now, does well, your dad thing. have a history in sports? Is that how he you does, yeah? Because that's like quite the invite yeah, to get. Actually, it's funny because people are surprised on media because my dad was a triple jumper at Kentucky University. Triple jumper? Yes. Yeah, my mom was a fashion model. So people always wonder, your mom's a model, your dad was an athlete. How'd you get into media? <laughs> right. You, you just took the bo- best of both worlds. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. My dad ran track and field at Kentucky for two years and then he transferred over to Abilene Christian for his last two years. He actually, he's from Toronto, or Toronto area, mm-hmm. and he came to Edmonton originally, where I was born, to compete in bobsled in the Olympics, 92. 
that so your dad went from a track athlete to, to a bobsledder yes my goodness didn't didn't pan out and then he got into i don't, I'm, i still don't know how he got into bobsled and track into fashion like mm-hmm. there are different stories but he can tell you the official story yeah he got into fashion met my mom in fashion and they started up a clothing store in edmonton called colorblind which was one of the first hip-hop stores in all the country in the 90s so they brought in a lot of brands that are well-known. Like, you know the brand um, French Connection? Yeah, of course. They brought them into Canada. No way. That was them. They were the first one to bring them And that that's your Canada. roots. Yeah. So how do you see that working itself out in your life? Like, because, yeah. okay, we're going to get to the media <laughs> thing in a minute. But you have such a strong fashion background. And mm-hmm. I find that interesting because yeah. I have I have a couple friends, some of which have been on the podcast, that are heavy into the fashion world. And I know, like I'm sitting here yes. wearing a t-shirt from the starters. I have to look down and know what I'm wearing. <laughs> and a hoodie that is actually just a sample hoodie that was sent to us to see if we're going to get anything with a Stringer logo on it. But you must see fashion or at least those influences from your mom and also your dad's time in it work itself in throughout your life or even just how you spent most of your childhood. Of course. Like, you know, when I was younger, I didn't truly grasp fashion. I wasn't really like, I thought it was, ah, it's kind of boring. I didn't really get it. I think when I got into university and started working on TV at um, at my school's um, TV program, because mm-hmm. we used to do a weekly news show at Nate, which is where my university, ACR and CTV too. Mm-hmm. And I think the first one really hit me that fashion is really in your blood was when my dad got me from his company. He used to work for a company called Jesus a Dutch label. He was the, he was the brand president for Canada. Mm-hmm. He said to me, hey, I got a pair of teal pants I want you to wear on air. Hmm. And I was thinking... You're like, Dad, I'm a little old for you to be picking out my yeah. wardrobe. <laughs> I just thought it didn't work. It was like, it was like teal aquish. That was kind of weird. Yeah. And I I would go on camera, like just very plain dress shirts, probably plain suits. Like, you know what? Ah, what the heck? Yeah. Went on camera and everybody said, whoa, those are, those are great. Those are great on you. And it was like, aqua dress pants like you know what but it was the teal they yeah. popped it's like you know what screw it i'll yeah. wear it again yeah. so i became known in edmonton as yes he here's the young teenage reporter yeah but look at what he's wearing i started wearing orange blazers pink blazers i have a blazer that i wore that i've worn many times you might see it on twitter where it is green and white it's an all-white suit with green leaves as the design on it wow I've worn that, and people have said to me, dude, I had one guy years ago tell me, dude, only you could pull that off. If anyone else pulls that off in the media world, they'd be called an a-hole. Right. <laughs> now, is it, I in a weird way, is it true that n- n- almost no attention is bad attention? That anything you can do to draw attention to yourself, mm-hmm. whether it's standing out in how you dress yeah. or maybe it's how you speak or, or the type of stories that you pursue – is that, did you find that opened a bunch of doors for you? Oh, it did, absolutely. Yeah. Because I know one of the first teams I covered in sports was the Empton Oil Kings in the Western Hockey League. And I met a lot of guys who are now NHL players. Mark Pissick, one of them, my mm-hmm. good buddy, plays for the Florida Panthers now. I used to go into scrums, and I used to ask some of the most silly questions in scrums. I would say, for example... Purposefully? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Because why not? Because... Hey, all, yeah. <laughs> I've been there where I asked some of the silliest questions, but it wasn't on purpose. Like, I was just trying to say something. Uh, but, but it's good when you go yeah. in, and that was kind of yeah. p- part of the plan but you I had. would do it, though. Like, I would be educated on, on, of course. I wouldn't come across trying to be a clown. I, I would tie it back into how the player played. Yeah. But it, 
I'll say, for example, Mark, you know, you had two goals. What was it like going out there giving 114.6%? Yeah. And whole scrum burst out laughing. Like, 100, like what? 114%? Yeah. Not no. just 110. <laughs> yeah. Not just 105%. 114.6. Yes. And that kind of stuff got to be where the player's like, okay, he's kind of funny. And being, when I covered junior hockey, I was 18, 19. I was these guys' yeah. age. Yeah. They could relate. Or I would come out and say, hey, this is back when I remember NHL 11 came out. Yeah. And I ripped these guys because back when EA Supercourt started adding in the junior players, all the ratings were like 40 overall, 50 overall, 51 overall. So I would say to someone, hey, Mark, NHL 11 came out. You guys suck in this game. I'd be like, what? What do you yeah. mean I suck? Yeah. And they'd go see their ratings. Yeah. <laughs> and that's always, it's it's interesting how it's such a, uh, a soft spot for <laughs> players, you yeah. know, how they're rated in the games and how it all comes out. Mm-hmm. I thought it'd be so funny, but yeah, it's like I I really took advantage of the fact that when I was starting media, yeah, I was like I said, I was the same age as guys who were coming into the league or new players. Because why would you not want to take advantage of that? Because end of the day, these guys who are nineteen when you're nineteen, they have probably the same struggles you have. It's probably be it homework, be it family life, be yeah. it movies, girls, whatever. Like relate to that. Do play to your strength. I felt in that instance. You spent some time in radio as well, didn't yes. you? As part of an internship? Mm-hmm, at TSN, what is now TSN Radio 1260. Is that where you found your love for this delivery of information and this way of communicating with people? Or or did your love of radio predate you working there? Oh, that predates that. Yeah. That really predates that because I actually used to go into, when it was still Team 1260, I used to go in when I was like 13, 14 years old as a fill-in co-host because I used to, I used, I used to love back when... Back when calling you sports radio shows wasn't seen as annoying and it was seen as cool, I used to do it when I was 13 years old. And when I did it, I would reference players from the 60s and 70s and tie back into modern day players. And the host back then said, you got to get this kid in the studio because what does a kid who is 14 know about Dale Howard Chuck? Right. Or what does the kids 14 know about Bill Walton's stats in the, in the with the Blazers? So how did you <laughs> come across how what what made you educated in, in stats from the 60s and 70s? Honestly, like I was just you asked my parents, I was the biggest sports nut. Like I loved playing sports. I grew up playing basketball and baseball, yeah. but I just when I was like four years old, I would of course typical kid watch cartoons, whatever, in the mornings. But I would go and I would watch NBA on M- NBA and NBC. And I would just memorize stats. I would memorize how players play and whatever. And my parents used to buy me all these kinds of books. Mm-hmm. And I would read, I would read like a novel on, say, Sky Pippen, like 100 pages. I would read it in an hour. Hmm. Or there was, do you remember, do you remember um, a book used to be called, it was Total NHL. Okay. It was 400 page book on just stats in NHL and NHL stories. 400 pages. My parents thought, okay, he likes sports. We'll let him look at this. I read, I think the first he got this book, I read 200 pages in one day. Holy smokes. Uh, 200 pages. And my dad used to go through and he used to, what did he used to do? He used to flip to a random page and he would use a random page, like page 200 and whatever. Would he tell you what the page was? He would tell you the page, yes. Yeah, okay. But he wouldn't say what the fact was. Right. He would say, he would say, okay, Gordie Howe, play 1979-80, how many goals he score in his last year in NHL? I would say 15 goals, 41 points overall. And he, I mean, I'd go, holy crap. Like how, I used to go to like dinner with my dad's friend and parents' friends. Mm-hmm. And it asked me, he's kind of sad. I would just see grown men and women just like stunned mm-hmm. at the table. Like 
doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it's amazing how the brain can just be tuned to that. Yeah. And just just pick it up and, and retain it. But you know what's the funny thing about that, though, Clayton? Is in school, I was a horrible math student. I failed math multiple times. And teachers didn't get it. Because I had teachers in junior high who were also sports nuts. But they found it so odd in a sense how I could analyze stats and break down plays. Mm-hmm. But yet, give me an algebra question. And I was getting like a 2 out of 10 on a test. Right. <laughs> it baffled them in school. I think it's a different part of the brain, though. You know, what, what, <laughs> what one part, because one is a problem that you're trying to work out. Mm-hmm. And the other is the retention and, and memory of numbers. Yes. Right? And it's it's almost unfair. It's like if I could be a good painter, but I might not remember, you know, everyone's face photographically. Right. Right? Someone could say, well, you're a visual learner or interpreter. You're like, yeah, but they're very different things here. Yeah, they really is. Because, yeah, I remember I remember one day. I laugh about it now, but because my parents were called. And, and my parents can tell you, they, they don't know math either. So going home, and once I got past grade six, it was, okay, kid, you're on your own. We yeah. don't know this. Yeah. I remember one day I, I got a glimpse of the class average for math scores. And I saw kids, okay, 91%, 85, 73, 65. And then there was me all the way down, Avery, 42%. Avery. (laughs) I brought down the whole class average, like grade eight. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay. Round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So when you started the podcast, how old were you at that point? I was 15 years old. You were 15 when you started Avery Sports. Yes. And what were you using because technology, like we sit here and I joke, I said, we, we just upgraded, you know, our, our little podcast desk mm-hmm. that we have here. And I have seen, even in the last four years, podcasting equipment jump leaps and bounds. Yes. So when I'm looking at 2008, what's a 15-year-old using to, oh, to get the message and, and get stuff out there? I was using a Nokia flip phone. Get what? <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> so how did Blog Talk Radio, did you have to call into a yep, service? you would call into a service. And they would record it for exactly. you. Exactly. And you were just using your cell phone. Yep. And I would go into my desktop at home yeah. and edit things and then share it. Wild. <laughs> so you call a phone number. Yep. Talk your show over a phone, mm-hmm. but then edit it online. Exactly. Jesus. I, <laughs> that's 2008. And I remember my first show, I remember my first ever episode was me breaking down the 2008 NBA playoffs. Yeah. And it was a game in which it was, I think it was the Heat and the Celtics. It was a game in which P.J. Brown went off off the bench for like 17 points. So I broke down P.J. Brown having a huge scoring day. I, I would imagine you never lived in a world necessarily where time constraints mattered, right? Because really. everything... Now, you did work, obviously, with the radio station mm, with yes. CTV. But I spent... And it's so weird and so hard to break in your brain. But I spent a number of times first... In an outside production company, then working with Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment, mm-hmm. where everything is in like six minute segments. Yeah. Each show was 20, 23 50, just under 24 minutes or 44 minutes if you're doing an hour. But I imagine at such a young age, being able to start your own show, yeah. the length of time to you didn't always matter. No, it didn't back then. I mean, once I got older and started learning how the industry worked, of course, I did, I did, I did get it more. When I was 15, I was just, you know, I was just talking to the world. I was talking sports. That's what yeah. I wanted to do. I wanted to find a platform. I literally just, one day on Google, Googled, how do I host a sports show? And Blog Talk came up. Get out. D- dead serious. Really? That's the true story. God's honest truth. So all of this is hilarious, first of all, mm-hmm. because it all leverages social media. Yes. Which, as you brought up, wasn't a thing in 2000. Well, it wasn't. Like we had Facebook at the time, right? But it, and we had YouTube, but it wasn't to the extent that we see today. No, where we live off our Twitter and Instagram feeds. Yet a lot of this is based on podcasting, which was not a form like a popular way of getting information out there, and social media, which, for all intents and purposes, didn't exist. No. It really, it really did not. And when I see, and when I see kids now who are in university starting up their own podcast, or I see eighteen year olds, I think to myself, "You have no idea how hard it was to do a podcast ten years ago. You guys have no you idea. Kids, <laughs> you kids these days have it so easy. You sound like your dad already. I, like, it, it, I kind of do, but it's like they guys don't because you can go on Periscope, or whatever. You can start a show just like that in your phone. You couldn't do that in two thousand eight. <laughs> but what's interesting, I think, what we're finding now. Is that because everyone can do it Mm -hmm. and because it's so easy to do it that not many people do. Mm. Right? Because literally we I I could grab my phone, it's in the other room. But we could, as you said, start a periscope. Yeah. Live Instagram, right? Instagram live. Shows how old I am. I say it wrong. (laughs) Right? Facebook live. Yes. YouTube live. We could go Mm -hmm. live with anything. We could have a show. We can. But when everyone goes live, that you're only getting you know, your friend next door and the kid you hang out with school listening to you. It's almost in a weird way. I think started a pushback where less people are doing it now. Yes. Because it feels like everyone's doing it. It's true. And I think now too, especially if you're a younger person, like my thing was, I've been a a huge, I will talk any sport anytime. Mm -hmm. I think you're seeing a lot now, a lot of people, a lot of kids are trying to be, they're trying to do hockey or baseball when the market's already saturated for those sports so much right there's already so many hockey podcasts out there i mean there's the so many there's so many jokes on twitter about there being a thousand hockey podcasts and if not, not really, more yeah 
and yeah. no one's really making a real differentiation like there was six seven years ago a lot of them i mean there are still great ones out there there are some hockey podcasters which are great i know steve dangle his show was innovative is his show is incredible because dangle has such a presence about him. Yes. Like, not just, like, a dent in the social media landscape and, and YouTube, but he has such a presence on the microphone. It's true. That he can add so much dynamic to whatever story is coming out. And you know what's funny with Dangle is that I've known, like, I've known Steve, like, I've known Jeff for a very long time. If Steve gives you the rub, people will approach you in the street and say, I know who you are. Right. It's happened before where I've had people come to me referencing Dangle. It's like, holy crap. You know who I am? And why are you stalking me? Yeah. I'll call the cops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he does have that influence and that power yeah. <laughs> because in the same way, he just started a thing mm-hmm. naturally out of something he could do with a webcam, you know, in his room talking, ranting about the Leafs. And at the time, it was the Leafs' dismal failures. But he so naturally was able to convey that. And then he's obviously developed his yes. his delivery over the years, but it came from such a spot of innocence. It's true. And now the man is out. <laughs> it's funny. I was out with buddies of mine watching um watching all the Oilers games, and there's Steve in a commercial with Mark Savard. Like, wow. They were they were <laughs> learning hockey tricks, or they yes. were on the ice, weren't they? Yeah. Doing yes. doing little hockey moves or whatever. I don't care any time to see it though. Seeing your friend on a three foot screen is horrifying. It is weird. <laughs> It, I, and I feel bad for them because I think the only thing more awkward than seeing your friend on a 30-foot screen would be seeing yourself on a 30-foot screen. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I could handle that kind of pressure. No. Or you face it on a book because that's even more weird dangle. Yeah. Because, Steve, like, it's funny. I woke up in the middle of the night and I need to use a washroom. There's Steve's face looking at me in my pajamas. Like, wow, this is kind of weird. You leave Steve's book in the bathroom? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Now, now you're figured out. <laughs> Now he knows. No, I'm not I'm not going to pretend that Steve listens to this podcast. No chance. You commented on your ability to mm-hmm. kind of flip between sports. Yeah. Is that something you've relied on uh, over the years? Oh, absolutely. Because I don't know if you know the term um, sportsman. It is a very old-fashioned term from, I believe, around 1910s that refers to a sports enthusiast. It refers to people like the King Clancy's back in the day who were hockey players and football players and also referees. It's an all it's all English term. My mom uses it all the time because back in Trinidad, if you were a sportsman, you were someone who played cricket, but also you were editing the local newspaper and you were playing soccer. It's a term people don't use here. And basically it's supposed to mean you're a jack of all trades in the sports right. world. And it benefits me because I feel like I mentioned saturation. You want to be able to find a way to get ahead because if you can't get ahead in hockey, try getting ahead in basketball or tennis or track and field or i found a great niche i've started getting a lot of attention in rugby league i've covered the wolf pack and great from, year for the wolf pack this year yes, wasn't it it is i've covered them from the start and from that i've now started covering a lot of super league and the nrl so i've now started writing for a site called the roar sports in australia in which is based in brisbane mm-hmm. so i now have people from fox sports australia now following me hmm. and i look at that in a sense where you know, this is a big world, Clayton. It's a, there are over 140 countries in the world. But yet in sports, we kind of we kind of stick to if you're not making it big in Canada or in, Amer- or in America, you're irrelevant. We kind of forget that right. you can be there. You can go be the biggest thing in Australia. Go be the biggest thing in Japan. Go be the biggest thing in England. There are so many more places you can be iconic in the sports world than just in North America. 
I figure, why not go and try it? I got my start. I've told this story a couple times uh, on the podcast, but I got my start in music writing. Mm. And that's something that I learned then uh, at a very young age was the idea. And because it applies to musicians that sure being big in the United States brings with it, you know, a certain level of prestige or whatever, but you can go and you can tour Australia mm-hmm. or Japan, yeah. like you mentioned, or anywhere through Western Europe or Eastern Europe. Right. Or all these niche places. You could go and tour because you found a fan base there and you could continually make a living off of it. I think yes. of a, a Canadian band, The Tea Party, mm. and and we were joking about them in the office because it seems like one of those Canadian bands that were, were here and then they're gone. But then we realized the lead singer was just performing like either the coming weekend or the, or, or the weekend that had just passed in Australia. Same kind of thing. Because you can just earn a fan base around the world. And as long as you're servicing them, that is as legitimate a job as anything else you're doing, whether it be in North America or not. It's true. It really is. I mean, and I, I, what's the harm? Because I have friends. I have a friend of mine who is now writing down in Australia for a newspaper and he loves it. Like, I don't see the harm in that. I mean, of course, there's the whole thing, you know, about not only leave your comfort zone, but in the media world, you got to try new things in the media world because to an extent, I feel like in media, in Canada, we're almost circling, our, we're almost spinning our wheels to an extent because there's a lot of great people in media, but we do a lot of the same thing. In certain parts of media in Canada, we're not risk takers, to be quite blunt. Yeah. You'll see a lot of risk in media, especially in sports. For some reason, people will take risks in the news They'll take risk in comedy, but when it comes to sports, oh no, don't joke too much. Don't right. have too much fun. Right. But you see on NBA on TNT, you got Kane Smith showing Shaq into a Christmas tree. Yeah. You would never see that on Hockey Night in Canada. NBA and <laughs> T- TNT is, <laughs> it honestly, is next level. Everything they've done with yes. that brand and on that network, I think just keeps pushing the boundaries uh, of what we could do mm-hmm. and what's acceptable because uh, you brought up Shaq. Yeah. He was criticized and made fun of and i I think he still is to a degree Mm -hmm. but then he becomes so beloved and endeared to the audience that they're almost waiting and anticipating these kind of gag moments or these over-the-top moments right and that's what we get out of it and that's what we take away that enriches and changes our life for the night because the game is always going to be the game Exactly. And I mean, I mentioned Shaq and Shaq spoke freely about the Daryl Morley situation, speaking about you know, he, he supports Daryl Morley and saying how he should be able to have free speech. And I look at that and I think to myself, how many other athletes, how many other media pundits would get that political on a sports program and not be reprimanded? Like so many other channels would say, you can't do that. You can't go there. But NBA and TNT never shied away from racial issues or political issues on their program. Never have. Did you, looking at niche sports, was it junior hockey that you got your start? Was that going to be the, and not that Mm. hockey is a niche sport in Canada, but going to a junior level might be like the the strong avenue in instead of thinking like, oh, I'm going to write about the Oilers. You went to the Oil Kings. I did, yeah. That was a great way because I met a lot of, like I said, there's a lot of players I met there who are now playing pro with my friends for life. I met a lot of media members because when you're covering junior hockey, if Every once in a while in the CHL, you'll get double headers. And if, if there's a certain city that shares an NHL market, you might get Oil Kings play 11 a.m., Oilers Flame 7 p.m. So you might get a chance to meet the big wigs of a team because they're milling around in the morning around the arena. That was how I met, um, I met Kevin Lowe that way. 
I got a chance to build a little bit of a rapport with Kevin Lowe. And I never forget, I think it was 2012, I met Kevin Lowe one time, to the Lowe, gave him my card. And I think it was, I met him like six months later, and he referenced an episode of my podcast. Like, wait a minute, you listen to my show? Hmm. And my mom, she told me that don't ever think people in, in these fields are not paying attention. They may not acknowledge it fully, but they're watching. Like, they want to see what you can either bring or you're saying about them. Like I said, and it may sound a little bit arrogant, but she had a point. Like, never assume people don't know who you are in this industry. Never do that. Oh, I don't want to say I copied you. I followed a very similar route. Mm-hmm. Like, we're very parallel routes in the sense that when I decided to get into sports, because I was in music and then I was in automotive, when I decided to get into sports, uh, I targeted the Toronto Marlies. And for much of the reason what you had just described, like it, I'm not going to break through, especially in a Toronto market. <laughs> exactly. I'm not going to make a ripple if I try to yell leaf stuff from the rooftop. Mm-hmm. But I remember going to a game one time and looking around and being like, wow, this is really underserviced. Yes. And, and realize that there's stories to be told here and, and there's information that people want to take in and they want to be consumed by. Uh, they just don't know it yet. And then from there, you kind of, much as you said, you have your double header nights. You have, you know, no one has the ability to watch everything all the time, but you will get some of your, we'll call them, at the time we call them mainstream media. Now I'm just going to call them like higher up the food chain media <laughs> who can pop in every you know, couple weeks yes. or one game a month or something, mm-hmm. and you develop relationships that way, and you become that that source of information that they might use. And I'm not talking information like so and so is being traded. Right. I'm just talking like who's playing well exactly. or what's the line combinations that night. Yeah, it's a great point. Yeah, with the old kings. Yeah, when they were in their playoff runs, you would see you mentioned you would see the mainstream guys. You'd see the guys from CTV come or Global or whatever. They could, and they asked me like, who is Who's on the hot streak? Who's this? Because they wanted to know because they've been busy covering the Oilers, the Eskimos. And I've been the one guy who was covering the Oil Kings. And with that, that was I met Steve Eisenman. One night, um, I was went, walking to the press box, went to my seat. Who's in my seat? Steve Eisenman. He was hired by the, by the Lightning. It's like, do I tell Steve why he has to move or do I just sit beside him? You just sit beside <laughs> him. Yeah, probably. I remember one time I was at, I was in Oshawa. I want oh it, no no I was in London that's where I was and it was at um the rookie tournament games mm-hmm. and John Ferguson Jr was in front of me in line and they couldn't find his pass because they had all, they had all the media passes <laughs> spread out on a table that's and this funny. is after he had left his time with the Maple Leafs he was now a scout I believe in the San Jose Sharks organization mm. they have all these media passes spread over the table and they're looking and they're like sir uh we can't find your name what do you say it was again and he's like John Ferguson and this poor person behind the desk had no clue who he was Uh-oh. or what importance he had held in, right. or his family had held in the hockey world. And they end up writing him a new one, hands it to him. They then can't find my pass. And she says, oh, don't <laughs> worry. She picks up like a random pass, puts a white sticker over it, writes my name. Well, it was John Ferguson's pass <laughs> underneath <laughs> it. So in the same way, like you end up in circles with people yes. that you have been familiar with mm-hmm. or have been in one way or another influential in your life for a long time in these really common scenarios, just like someone sitting in your seat or 
being handed his past that had been whited out with a different name. Yeah, and I'll say this too for a turn to me. I'll say this too. I know you're someone who I like. I said you're someone who's killing it with the TFC game in terms of all the content. I gotta give you your props for that. Thank you. And what I like about that is because I think Major League Soccer is so open to new things, and they're so open to just different things. Like I. I covered TFC for the past three years, loved it. And what you've done with TFC has just been some of the best content because I've seen your work, Clayton, and you've been around TFC from the 2013, highs. 2013, yeah. You've been around the lowest of lows to yeah. the highest of highs. I, 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 I think, <laughs> thank you, first of all. It's very kind of you to say. Yeah. But I'm going to do what everyone in our industry probably does, and I'm just going to defer uh, all the praise because <laughs> for me, I was, I was at Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment at a really, really interesting time. First of all, we had a, a dynamic digital department when I had started there. So they brought me in. I was, when they first brought me in on the Marley's front, I was doing nothing. Like I was just writing Marley stuff and I was get, selling freelance articles. And they realized that, oh, maybe having a Marley's presence is a good idea. Yeah. And they brought me in first as a writer and that role kind of developed. But then in 2012 was when, Toronto FC had an abysmal year and they did something that I will always remember and I find very wise. They took all the content creators like from the digital side mm -hmm. and they put us all in one meeting and this was about the middle of the season and they said, guys, what do we do? Because we can't, you know, as members of the media, you can't affect the on-field results. Right. No, exactly. you, you, There's nothing <laughs> you can do there, but they had the openness to be like, okay, I'm going to bring in basketball people and I'm going to bring in hockey people yes. and soccer people and like business people. I'm going to bring everyone into one room and say, best idea wins. Like, what are some of your ideas? And that was what sparked all for one eventually in enough time. That sparked all for one, which started in 2013. And we had, in a way, we call it the Wild West because we kind of had free reign to create whatever stories and chase whatever yes. storylines we wanted. But I look back now and I think maybe that was almost by design that they mm. knew that by micromanaging and by just forcing you to create the same things they had always created, we were never going to plow through. And, and I credit Jeff Landicho, who is the creator and producer behind Open Gym, which is a wildly popular TV show yes, now it in its eighth season, I believe. It doesn't hurt that the Raptors just became champions. Oh, not but at all. But <laughs> Open Gym did very well before then. I had the ability to work alongside him and see, you know, in our first seasons what he was doing and and try to take some best practices away from him, who's a very experienced and very accomplished producer. But Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment at that time just allowed us the freedom to be like, no, 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 you're passionate about this. Go chase it. Just make good shit. Yeah. And, and they let us just set that bar and leave it open. And as to as you had said, MLS definitely helps with that because there's a humility about the players mm -hmm. and there's an openness with the public relations staff that – they want that they're open to trying new things. We have yeah. limits. Everyone has limits. Of course. But they're open to trying new things, and that's where it came out of. Yeah. And I look at MLS. I, I mean, I remember being around TFC in 2013, 2014, and just seeing how the TFC went from the, to be quite blunt, the doormats of Major League Soccer. I remember being at MLS Cup 2016 and thinking, this is surreal. 
this was the team that was the quote worst team in the world. Yes. And now they're in playing 2012, <laughs> correct. 100%. And now they're playing quote, for a quote time. is correct too. Yes. It was it was straight <laughs> quoted out of their lead striker Danny Cooverman's that they were the worst team in the world. Yeah. And it, it just blew me away to see Bimo rocking. Mm-hmm. I remember um, that was a night where that was one of the coolest nights I've been on size me, man. I froze my tail off. Yeah, it was terrible. I It was funny because I I don't think TFC kind of planned for that much media. I think they really grasped how much media was coming because it was the it was the it was the Fox, ESPNs, and of course the local content. And then they had the bloggers. And then they had the overflow for the blogger, the overflow for the bloggers. I was sitting I was sitting in like row 320, whatever, in the cold. And MLS, credit to MLS, they gave me like a, a bag full of hand warmers. Mm-hmm. But sitting outside minus 10 was still painful. Very painful. <laughs> and and that was, I don't want to point any fingers at anyone no. because I love both TFC of and course. MLS. MLS comes in and they kind of take over for MLS Cup. Fair enough. Right? That becomes yeah. a, league in a, uh, a league event. Mm-hmm. And you had to imagine that they may have asked themselves questions <laughs> as to, okay, we're as north as we can be in this league right now. <laughs> yes. It's going to be cold. I don't know how many American media members will travel. I, I can't say that Seattle-Toronto was the sexiest matchup for mm-hmm. them, right? Because if you right. have like a Toronto-LA at the time – that may have generated a little bit more buzz, but yeah. you go to Seattle, and no offense to Seattle, no, but not at all. you know they're not the hub of MLS news coming out. And out of the East, you could imagine that MLS would prefer prefer New York Red Bull to be yeah. there or one of that one of those bigger teams. And so they could have very honestly underestimated, as you said, how many media members yeah. were going to show up. And brave the cold that night and stick through extra time and overtime mm-hmm. and penalty kicks. Yes. In what was a frigid. I I've <laughs> talked to a lot of people about that night. Uh the decision split whether 2016 or 2017 was colder. I a hundred percent think 2016 was far colder. Oh, and I was on I was on the field both times. And 2016 was near unbearable. Like I feel bad for you being down there. Like I cannot imagine just being down there the entire game. At least being up top, you didn't get some relief. But being down there, oh gosh. And we were in. They gave us prime positions on the inside of like the signage that goes up. Yeah. On the rubber matting, you know, just feet away from the touchline. But the rule was we weren't allowed to move because if we moved. We'd be obstructing people's views. Oh, jeez! <laughs> so for a forty-five minute first half, yes, a fifteen-minute intermission, a forty-five-minute second half, a thirty-minute overtime, <laughs> and penalty kicks, we weren't allowed to move. And I oh, had these incredible sh- people, you know, the the fans who were sitting first row. One handed me their scarf. Another handed me hand warmers. Yeah. Someone asked me if if I wanted hot chocolate, and they get it for <laughs> me, which is just incredible. To have gone through in and of itself. I said no to the hot chocolate. I would have interrupted trying to shoot. Uh, but yeah, that night was, it was a cold one in Toronto. And it ended so bitterly. Yes. With TFC losing that it just kind of, I remember I had nothing left at the end of the game. Like, and I wasn't even playing. Like, I had to sit there and move a camera. But I was all the uh, overtime that we'd put in. 
all the hours, all the long nights, all this stuff, it hit me all at one moment. And that was at the final whistle of that game. And thankfully, I had a good group of like a crew there mm-hmm. that we knew that we had jobs to do if Seattle won. Yes. But I had already assigned them. I'm like, if Seattle wins, you're the one who goes and gets the trophy celebration and you're the one who gets on-field reaction, and I'm just going to pack my gear and go home. No. Because <laughs> I was tired. I could it was imagine, cold. Well, you know what's funny with, with that game was that I got a cool interview after that game. Was, I interviewed um, a defender, Zach Scott. <laughs> he had played in Seattle almost his entire pro career. He played with the Sounders from before they were even an MLS team. Back to the USL days. USL, yeah. And I, and I was walking around trying to find somebody, and I could tell they were trying to shuffle the media out of there. It was getting late. So I figured, you know what? Let me go talk to him. It was his last career game. And I didn't. You know, I sat down with him for a good 20 minutes, just chit-chatting about what it's like being a, a full-time Seattle guy, whatever, whatever. And this, uh, my interview was his the last he did as an active player. Really? La- I got lots of people uh, play before he retired. I thought that was so cool. Talked to a guy who just won the title. Gave me half an hour, almost half an hour of uh, reflecting on what it was like being a mentor to Clint Dempsey and playing in various leagues and then to end your career as a champion. And on Twitter next day, YouTube article next day to his 20,000 followers. Like, hmm. thank you. Yeah. <laughs> That's neat how those, how, how we have the privilege of being present at some of those moments because, and I say this very matter of factly, us being there, you or me, yeah. Really doesn't change the moment for them. Like no. they're they're in a mindset and yeah. they're in a headspace, and we're just like the goof that's lucky enough to hold the <laughs> microphone and ask exactly. the right question, right? Like that's the privilege we have of getting to be there. But it is truly when you get to witness those moments and be present for them, it, it, it's things that you remember. Well, we're now three years after, yeah, uh, and and you still recall it. Exactly. Top of mind. Well, also, champagne sucks out of your clothing. Sam. It's terrible. Like, <laughs> Try getting out of a camera. Oh, my God. It is so bad. <laughs> I can't imagine. I've been involved in three different teams winning a title, and every time I come home, things smell like champagne. It's, you know, and you're in the moment thinking, yeah, this is cool. But when you get, when you walk into the arena, it's like, I stink. Uh, yes, you <laughs> reek afterwards. Well, so what are the, uh, I'm guessing Seattle is one of them. Yep. What are the other two? Other two was um, in 2011 when we used to have independent pro baseball in Edmonton. The Edmonton Capitals won what was called the Golden Baseball League Championship, and I was one of the one of the few beat writers there who covered every single game. And I got right in there. I was, and they started spraying champagne on the mound. So I took a full blast, and my jeans stunk of champagne, jacket sucks champagne, hat stinks, and third time was last year the Grey Cup when the Stampeders won the Grey Cup. Right. Myself, my co-host, some other long part. overdue for the stamps. <laughs> I know, like, right? They, they never win. They Dang have it. been so good for so long, <laughs> and they, they they earned they long earned they did, that though. win last year. They did, and being in the and being in the locker room, it was just one. They're spraying, like I said, spraying the champagne, spraying the beer, and this was by far the worst blast they ever got. Like my pants were, my right leg was entirely drenched. Wow. I like peed myself. Yeah. <laughs> And we're there, and my co-host, my uh, brother podcast, Brad Barco, mm. he's the inspiration himself. He has cerebral palsy, so he's in a wheelchair. And I think it was Ron Breskison, and I want to say Bolivar Mitchell. They they brought over the Grey Cup and asked him, do you want to drink from it? So on our show Instagram profile is Brad drinking from the Grey Cup. They poured, I don't care, they poured like 
full buckets of beer and champagne and him to drink out of. Incredible. And the beauty is that the nice thing about being a podcast host in that sense is that we got our audio on. We got we got our stuff on field. We did our recap on field. We got our plans. Like for for content for next day, we're good. Yeah. We don't need to go back in and file a story. So we stayed in the locker room for knows how long, and it was just so cool seeing that being around the players because that like you got guys who've been in the CFL for who knows how long, and this is the pinnacle for them, and to see just and see just the other joy. As much as people want to say, oh, what's the CFL? It's Canadian football. Tell these guys, this was a, this was a thing they'll, they'll tell their kids for 50, 60 years. Completely. Yeah. Well, you spoke about the International Baseball mm. League that Edmonton had. Yeah. Though they're living through a championship. Yes. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, when my beer league team wins a championship, <laughs> I don't care that none of us will be pro. No. I, we just want to win exactly. in whatever, whatever capacity we're in. It's right. No, I was in junior high. I set the record for most goals by a defenseman in ball hockey with four in a game. And I didn't care I'll never play pro hockey. No. <laughs> oh, that is ball. None of that. You're like, no, I'll take the record. Thank you very much. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With all your experience in many different leagues and many different sports, let's stick with sports, not leagues. Yeah, I, I kind of want to go around the horn, mm-hmm. and and we'll kind of talk through kind of current affairs of a couple of them. Sure. But I want you first to rank. You said you grew up on on basketball. Yes, is that still your first love? I would say I would say it still is. I would say it still very much is. But I'm one of those kids who I'm still a very much big fan of the of NBA nineties. Because that was what I grew up on. Like It's 2019. I know, but I just, like, to me, the rivalries aren't the same as what they were now. Like, you don't, like, you don't have any any Knicks-Heat rivalries now like right. you did 20 years ago. And people say, oh, that basketball was ugly. But it was just, that was Adam Mossy. That was when it was at his best. I loved watching the Heat-Knicks play to a 78-77 game. Because that was all a battle. I loved like one of my favorite players was Allen Houston growing up. Allen Houston was your, yes. one of your guys. Loved Allen so Houston. Basketball one. What's what, what sports going to take two? Two hockey. Two is hockey. Yes. Three. Three. I would say three is football. Uh, CFL football. I, I I would split. I would split between CFL and NFL. Put Who's your NFL team? Green Bay. Do you, Green Bay? Yes, I'm uh, a Green Bay guy. Uh, I always joke that Green Bay is like, and I say this very nicely to any Leafs fans out there. <laughs> But they're like the no, actually that's a lie. You say about the Dallas Cowboys. Anyway, you see the Dallas Cowboys <laughs> were the Maple Leafs, the NFL. Like if you don't yeah. like the NFL, mm-hmm. you like the Dallas Cowboys because that's they fair. just kind of represent the league and the sport 
yeah. in and of itself. Green Bay is kind of the same. But okay, longtime Packers fan. Yes. I'll take that. And then number four. Four is baseball. Is baseball. Yeah. And then soccer is five or soccer six? You know, I soccer is Soccer like, seven. No, soccer is fifth. No, soccer is eight. No, soccer is fifth. It's all fivers. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, I know. I grew up, yeah, being, being immigrant, being with immigrant parents, you got to you gotta have soccer in there somewhere. Uh, but yeah, I, I grew up playing soccer with friends, but I enjoy covering soccer more. Like, to me, I, I felt the soccer world is so fun. Like, I always tell people with soccer, you should watch more of your own soccer in your backyard. Like, I, I have friends who we can watch MLS, we can, sorry, we can watch EPL, we can watch La Liga, but I have almost no friends who like MLS. I have very few friends who like Major League Soccer. I was going to a fight once at a bar over that with an Australian dude. Over Major League Soccer. Yeah, because I would, we're outside a bar, I figured, hey, he's a cool dude, and we're talking about soccer. And I asked him, hey, do you ever watch soccer here? And do you ever watch MLS? And he goes, oh, you watch that effing nonsense. Right. Oh, you're not a real soccer fan. Like, not real. Like, what's wrong with you, bud? Like, I don't, see, I don't get that. It's great soccer. Do it you, have you watched any CPL yet this year? I have, yes. So we're on actually the eve, when we're recording this, is the eve before the first uh, of a two-leg championship yes. series for CPL. Uh, FC Edmonton mm-hmm. would be your home squad, yes. not in it. York 9, which would be my home squad, also not in it. So we can kind of be neutrals at this one. We can be. <laughs> it's going to be Forge FC versus Cavalry. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the time this is released, I think the championship, both games will be over. So do you want to, for fun, say who's going to win? Sure. We, 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 can place, we can place friendly wager bets. I will. You know what? They've been so dominant in both the spring and fall season. Cavalry? Yes, I'll yeah. go Cavalry. Like, I'm what, with you. What I'm not, not going to oppose you on that. What Tommy Wielden has done with that side has been so impressive. I remember this is Calgary's this is Calgary's first pro soccer team in some twenty five years. It is, but it like it's an evolution mm-hmm. of the PDL side that was there before, uh, yes. and I think that's what really helped them. I think that they had some structure there mm-hmm. and, and and a way of doing things a little bit ahead. And I I'm kind of talking up my butt a little bit <laughs> because I don't like I I'm not a hundred percent up on CPL news, mm-hmm. uh, but I think there was a structure and a form there, and I think that's what's really helped them walk through the season. It has. And as you said, be dominant through the first and second half. No, but it is a really fun league. And covering MC Edmonton, the oldest league, because they were around before in various incarnations, different leagues, watching what the FC Edmonton has done, like, that is a team. People out there, remember the name, Easton Ongaro. 19 years old, six foot six, scored 10 goals in the fall season. The kid's going to be good. He'll be in Europe eventually, sooner than you think. Interesting. There you are, a little bit of FC Edmonton news. Uh, you said your very first sport is basketball. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit of NBA. Have you been able to catch any of the first week action? I have, yes. And thoughts? Well, did you catch the first Raptors game? I did. Or did you go to West Coast games? I watched both. Like I want to see the Raptors. I want to see the defending champs. And to me, anyone thinks the Raptors are going to take a hilariously long tumble down to 8th or ninth. It's wild. It's not going to happen. No. You know who's going to take a hilariously long tumble, unfortunately, is uh, the Golden State Warriors. I think yeah, it's looking fair, like that. I think it's fair <laughs> to say that their run has come to an end. Mm-hmm. The dynasty has come officially come to an end. Uh, at the hands of the Raptors, just saying. But <laughs> what the, they were embarrassed by the Clippers just last night. Yeah. And with Clay look to, uh, looking to be out for the year, mm-hmm. I think it was Shaq the other night who said on the broadcast, uh, right to Clay's face, because Clay Thompson was on the broadcast. He's like, you just don't have the scorers on the team. He's like, you look down, you sure, 
you might get 30 out of out of Steph. Right. You might get 20. You might get 50. And he's like, but you don't get 90 points a night out of this team. No. And you're just not going to see it. No, exactly. And, f- and fittingly enough, Kawhi shuts down Oracle and Kawhi shuts down Chase. Very, <laughs> very good point. It's only been two games, but I think it's hard not to vote for the Clippers to be the strong, uh, the strong team out of the West, if not the league. They'll be a team. They'll they'll be a fun team to watch. They're gonna impress a lot of people. I think they'll probably be the third seed in the Western Conference. Third seed in the I West. Third. Behind I, who? You know what? I Don't think, say the Lakers. No, I think this can be this is gonna be a wild year in the NBA. You're gonna see the Western Conference. To me, is going to be interesting. I'm gonna say your comments are interesting. Nuts. People are gonna call me nuts, but I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you. Watch over the Denver Nuggets. They're going to be first in the Western Conference. Did Dylan, Denver. is that you cheering? Dylan's in agreement with your Den- Denver Nuggets prediction. Uh, I think you're full of it. Uh, but I hope so. I love Jamal Murray. We were lucky enough to do a piece with him a year and a half back. And so we've been fans of him ever since. So Denver Nuggets is your pick for number one. Yes. And then Houston, the second team. Houston, number two. And then number three being the Clippers. Yep. And into the East... Where do you Raptors? Do you think they're still top three? I think they're. I think they're fourth. They'll be fourth in the Eastern Conference. Okay, and who's in front of them? I think you. I mean, I think I think Philadelphia is still going to be a good team. I, I think Philadelphia will still be around. I think in the East. I think Boston. I think Boston's going to be a team that will still be one of the perennially good teams in the conference. Nope. You don't think so? No. Nope. I, think, I think Boston's going to. I think Boston's nope. surprising people. Fuck the Celtics. I think Boston is surprising. Nope, they're done. You uh, think so? Eh? And I don't. I don't put as much stock in Philly as everyone else does and, either. And Indiana will be. Too I think. Much. I think. I think they're interesting. I think Philly is interesting. I don't know if they're going to be good. Good point. Like I just don't. There's a difference. Like, that, that's <laughs> Joel Embiid's great. Like I'm not. That's mean to say. I th- I I feel like they might take a step step back over last year. I uh, I really thought they kind of had the team to do it last year. Yeah. And I don't know if the addition of Al Horford is quite great. That being said, no one listened to this podcast for my <laughs> basketball takes. Moving to hockey, yes. your Edmonton Oilers, Ooh. uh, quite the start. It has, and you know, people I know at first were saying, "Oh, James Neal, it's a bad play for a bad player." He only had one bad year. This it was very ab- true. It was an aberration. This is the guy who averaged around 25, 30 goals a year. Look what he did in Vegas. Look what he did in Pittsburgh and Nashville. He he just wasn't happy in Calgary. And a bad player for a bad player trade doesn't mean a bad trade. No. Right? That sometimes guys just need to shake up their surroundings and get with a different coach or get with different line mates. Exactly. And you're seeing it for James Neal, nine goals now. It's working out for him. And you're seeing now Milan Lucic, his his career is taking a startling path from when he was a 30-goal guy to now having three points in Calgary. <laughs> now, I don't want to go as far up as to say who will dominate the West in total, mm-hmm. but let's look at their teams around them when they have to play Vancouver, Calgary, and Winnipeg. Do you think there's any three of those teams can contend with what the Edmonton Oilers are bringing? Ooh, Vancouver, Calgary, Winnipeg. I think Winnipeg is the best team in my mind. I think so. Winnipeg th- still has, they still have Line A, they still have Kyle Connor, they still have Mark Shifley. That's a team to watch if you're going to pick one of those teams to challenge your Oilers. Paul Maurice, first coach of the Toronto Marlies. Yes. I got to know him with his uh, during his time in Toronto. He's one of my favorite coach. He's my favorite coach. He's my favorite coach in, the, coach in the NHL and just got a 700th win. If we look at the East, my beloved Leafs, how are we going to do this year? I think end of the day you still have you still have Mitch Marner, Austin Matthews, William Nylander. 
He's still John Tavares. And John Tavares. I keep forgetting he's now a Leaf. And a captain. <laughs> he's not just a Leaf. He's the captain. He's the top of them all. But I think the Leafs, I think they will be a team that will finish top four in Eastern Conference. That's a team, I think. But the big thing is that can get out of the first round. You haven't gone out of the first round to 3 or 4 Now, is this kind of <laughs> like what the Jays find themselves in, in terms of the playoff format, that your division in the NHL, you got to play yourself out of teams like Boston mm-hmm. all the time. Yes. You've got to play yourself out of Montreal has that ability to have a hot year and a dead year. Mm-hmm. But if you have a hot Montreal Canadiens team, you got to play yourself out of them and you got to play yourself out of Tampa Bay Lightning. Exactly. It's not easy. And you mentioned Boston. I compare Toronto Boston so those old matchups when Edmonton would play Dallas every single year. It was the same team, but un- unlike Edmonton Dallas, Toronto Boston always goes to seven games. Right. Which I find and like <laughs> you can set your clock on it. Yeah. And I remember I was at the last I, I was co- I was watching with um Steve Dang, I was watching with him and his wife. We were watching um the first game of the last Toronto Boston series. And watching hockey with Steve when the Leafs are not doing well. Is an experience because when it's Toronto Boston, I never had a buddy froth at the mouth when the Leafs give up goals. <laughs> That's I, an experience. Sometimes I wonder though, <laughs> is he stressed out over the game or is he stressed out over the fact that he has to now talk about this game <laughs> after? And that just makes him mad that he's like, oh, now I gotta talk about this crap. <laughs> it is hilarious, but it's just so odd. You like you never see a team run into that same opposition three years in a row and get that same result over and over and over again in game seven. It doesn't happen. Uh, and so hopefully this year will be the year that it doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> uh, the teams have played each other twice so far. They split mm-hmm. the series one and one, uh, the home team winning each of them. So we will see. Now, if you can teach me one thing about the CFL this year, because I have not been following. The only thing I know is that the Argos are horrendous. Uh, if you can teach me one thing about the CFL this year, Avery, before we wrap up, what will it be? It'll be that for the first time in a very long time, Every team has had a starter knocked out of for at least one game. No starter has gone all 18 games. Every team has played a backup quarterback, which never happens. So what does that mean, do you think, going forward as we enter the, the final week weeks of the season final and then playoffs? Weeks. Well, that means you're going to, you're going to see, you're going to, like Edmonton is a team, they're, they're going to play Montreal Eastern Division final. And Trevor Harris, who came from Ottawa, he's recovering now. We're going to see if he can get back into his form earlier this year where he led Edmonton to a five and one start. And then that's how you wrap up four sports. Oh, your fifth. You said your fifth favorite sport is soccer. You've got to love soccer. So let's just say now the game's going to be long done and dusted by the time this podcast comes out. But Toronto FC were, you know, days away from them going to the Eastern conference final to take on Atlanta United. I have Dylan has seen my picks. Uh, I have TFC actually going straight to the end. This year, going right and facing LAFC in the final. Uh, LAFC, I think, last night we watched them play the LA Galaxy and finally exercise those demons, beating the Galaxy for the very first time. They're heading to the conference finals, but this could all be for naught because both teams could get knocked out in the finals when this comes out, and you all can just laugh at us in our bad sports picks. (laughs) But that's what we're going to do. We should start a new podcast, and we're going to call it Bad Sports Picks. We should. That's original, right? But it's, yeah, I'm pretty sure there's more than enough people have done it. But we will start our own and people will like us because that's what they do 
on the internet. Avery, it was great having you here. I've kept you longer than the hour. That's why that handy clock goes up so that I know <laughs> how much time I've been talking. I like to end the podcast the same way every single time. And that's because uh, much with your life experience and, and I find with my life experience, finding a big outcome at the end all comes from a series of very small changes you can make. And I find it very easy to be consumed by my work mm-hmm. and to be consumed by the things that we're doing. But it's smart for us every now and then to make a decision to buy some time out for ourselves and make sure we're keeping ourselves in check. And I think the simplest decision we can make is to eat our vegetables. So that's how I like to end every single podcast. <laughs> so as I say, thank you to you, Avery, for coming by. Lewis McDougal. Love your last name. I don't know why it's not the Lewis McDougal sports show. You go with your first name. It'd be so much more fun if you went with your last name. Dylan's, who's on the sliders. Sean, who's had a baby, and so he's not in anymore. Congrats, Sean, and everyone else who makes this podcast possible. Uh, We all say thanks, and please, please, please be good to yourself. Eat your vegetables. And eat your vegetables. Avery said it. He's got to be right. (laughs) 